So what might we consider today? This is what uh, ministers of the gospel up and down the country are thinking about on the last Sunday of the year, what to, what to talk about, what subject matter to take. And uh, I believe we could do no better than this, which is to consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of and through Jesus Christ. Where would we be without the gospel of Jesus Christ? I caught the end of the seasonal film, It's a Wonderful Life, which um, is a great film. Uh, who's, who's seen the film, It's a Wonderful Life? James Stewart in it, right, okay. So here's he, the key character here is George Bailey, and towards the uh, end of the film, he's given an, uh, a sort of vision of what it would have been like if he hadn't existed, and uh, how awful the world would have been, or in fact, the little hometown in America where he lived, how different things would have been if he hadn't been there, if he hadn't made a difference. magnify that on an enormous scale we think well what would this world be like if there was not a gospel Jesus Christ had not come if he didn't have any good news to tell us and without this gospel this church has no reason for being here at all be a vacant plot probably be a block of flats we also have no future. We've got no reason to go into the next year. You know, what is the point of doing any of our sort of activities if there is no gospel of Jesus Christ? And the same could be said about us personally. On this matter hinges our life now and what happens after we die. Now this morning we're going to think of the, the topics on the screen here. We're going to think about the great saviour. We're going to think of Jesus Christ without whom we have no gospel at all. Absolutely nothing. How great is the Savior? Next Sunday morning, we're going to look at the subject, a great salvation. What has Jesus Christ done for us? The text this morning is in the book of 2 Corinthians. It's chapter 8, verse 9. It's a passage we've looked at on a couple of occasions recently as a church. We're back to it again today. Page 1163, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. The context is uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to a very mixed group of people living in the cosmopolitan seaside city of Corinth. Very mixed bunch, different backgrounds and experiences. But uh, here they are gathered together as we are this morning in some sort of a gathering. And so he writes to them knowing that they'll receive this. And he wants to encourage them. And he's encouraging them in the matter of being generous. They've kind of lost the plot and he wants them to uh, get back to their initial enthusiasm to be generous. And as so often he uses the very greatest motives for generosity verse 9 for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich there it is up on the screen you 
you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich how great is it when somebody becomes a Christian how great is it when somebody becomes a Christian well it's as great as this these are the Bible descriptions of what it means to become a Christian we move out of darkness into light we move from death to life and in a very vivid description we move from the power of Satan to God and this is the position of everybody in this building today who's a Christian doesn't matter what background you've had and what kind of experience you've had that, that is what marks you out And here, coming back to our text this morning, we can put this in this terms, that you have become rich. We've become rich. The text doesn't actually say that we were poor, but it must imply that. Through Jesus' poverty, we have become rich. So that implies that we're poor. We are basically very poor. Now, are you a poor person? humorously we might say well after Christmas I'm a poor person I have less than I had when I started off the Christmas season you may feel you're poor because of the, uh, the state of your bank balance or the fact that you don't own a house and you have to rent or you don't have some of the things that you'd like to have you may feel you're poor in terms of your friendships you might feel quite alone at this time of year and I don't belittle any of that, but the Bible's descriptions of poverty, the sort of poverty that Jesus Christ came to deal with, rather touch a different level. And here are some of the descriptions that we might use from the Bible of poverty. It's very, we're very poor when we have no friendly relationship with God. I use the, that phrase deliberately, no friendly relationship with God. Now, there are plenty of people who have no relationship at all. But there are many people in the world who have some sort of relationship with God. And I do think of, of, uh, of those uh, in Islam and so forth who have a relationship with God. But you could never dare to describe that as a friendly relationship. It's not a relationship which is warm and comforting and close and as the Bible would describe it, childlike. You might find it extraordinary that we should even think in those sort of words, but, but surely that's how the world was. God made man and woman. He walked with them in the cool of the evening. He related to them. It's a friendly relationship. We're very poor if we don't have that because we've been made to have a friendly relationship with God. We're very poor if we have no comprehensive forgiveness in our lives. One of the uh, repeated descriptions of Nelson Mandela is of this man who had this ability to forgive 
and was able to inspire others to forgive as well. Reconciliation. Wonderful to see that. And it's wonderful when people are able to forgive others and even to forgive themselves. Didn't used to hear about that, but it's a very sort of popular thought these days, isn't it? Are you able to forgive yourself or are you living with the, the crippling burden of your own guilt and frustration of the past? Are you able to forgive yourself? I don't belittle any of that. It's very precious and important as well. But comprehensive forgiveness has to do with more than our relationship with ourselves or with other people but our relationship with God God who sees absolutely everything about us the forgiveness that the world can bring and offer is bound to be superficial because who can see inside the human heart you don't know what I really think about each one of you nor do I know what you really think about me. But God knows. And the pure and holy God, whose standard is perfection, he sees all our thoughts. You know, you've been bumping into people all over Christmas, and some of that's been good, and maybe some of that's been frustrating, and some of the people you got tired of, and, and so forth. And this is the sort of common way of things as well. So you've had all sorts of thoughts and feelings over the last few days. Maybe even as I raise that, there's some sort of little nagging thing within you. Somebody that you feel it's so hard to forgive. They, they don't know about it. Only you know about it. But God knows about it. God sees it. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to have God's forgiveness in your life but you're desperately poor if you don't know the comprehensive forgiveness of God we're very poor when we don't have a lasting purpose is it fair of me to say to you well, what, what is your purpose in life what, what are you looking forward to what are your goals and your ambitions? It's all good. It's good. We need to have goals and ambitions. and um, It would be a very sad thing if around this room none of us went into the new year with any goals and ambitions about us. But if you were to test those goals and ambitions uh, in the light of your death and what happens after that, well, you know, how solid, how lasting is your goal and ambition? We were made for something better. We were made for a lasting purpose. And we're very poor if we don't have that lasting purpose in our lives. And we're very poor if we have no power to change, no power to change fundamentally. I was quite struck by something I saw on on the TV the other day and it was just a commentary about the fact that human nature is unchangeable that was a comment human nature is unchangeable 
Every generation deceives itself because of progress, technological progress, industrial progress, societal progress. We deceive ourselves and we constantly have to be reminded, normally by some very painful experiences, that the world is, uh, is frequently a dark place and when people's true characters sort of come to the fore, we recognize that for all uh, our immense abilities, possibilities of grappling with the world around us and so forth we have real problems getting on with ourselves and getting on with other people we have real problems of relation relationships isn't it tragic to see all the ethnic conflicts that are taking place in the world at this time Conflicts which have so often in the past been sort of buried under dictatorships where these conflicts haven't been allowed to rise. But you see it in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in most of the African countries, these ethnic conflicts which are suppressed. You know, when the suppression is removed, then these conflicts come to the fore again. And it's human nature. It's human nature. There's a veneer of civilization, but it's not hard for that to be broken down we're very poor when we don't have the power to change and we're very poor when we have no awareness of that poverty that's the biggest poorness of all not even to be aware that we have any sort of poverty so that we just carry on in the same old way do these, ma do these issues matter? Is it right to think in those sort of big terms about life? I believe it is. And this is what the Bible does for us. This is what God says to us. He says, yes, you should be big thinking people. I've made you to be big thinking people. So we're very privileged as we come here today to be able to think of these big issues like that. Now, Jesus Christ makes us very rich. My point here is that this isn't only a deprivation, but it's a very dangerous place for us to be. It's very dangerous for us to be without this list here, without the friendly relationship with God. That's a very dangerous place to be. It doesn't just mean you don't have a spiritual life, but it means that you're under God's opposition God's anger God is not pleased that you do not have his forgiveness God is not pleased to see the mess of your life God is not pleased to see the spiritual death within you that's a very dangerous place to be because God's displeasure is sort of masked by the measure of his grace We'll give it another day. We'll come here, here again another, another Sunday. We look back on a year that's flown by. But we're all here. We're here. We're alive to tell the tale. That's a serious point to make. Is that what does God think about us in our poverty? Well, a very real part of God's thought about us is that God is angry about this situation. The world that he made so perfect has been so badly spoiled by us 
are we in a state to meet with our God now the Bible says you're in a very bad way if you have that poverty about you to become a Christian is to become very rich I've struck through all those no's we've been away been made aware of our spiritual poverty and we've come to Jesus to deal with our poverty we can say thank God we have a measure of friendly relationship with him and that we know what it is that when we spoil and mar that friendship we know what it is to be able to come back to him and receive his forgiveness we do have a lasting purpose the lasting purpose is to bring glory to Jesus Christ and we should be able to do that forever and ever and there is power to change there really is power by the power of God's Holy Spirit for us to be a changed people now what else does this verse have to tell us how do we become so rich we become so rich because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ please look at that in that text there for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ it's the grace it's a free gift of Jesus Christ he has saved us from our poverty and he's brought us into richness he is therefore the saviour and we're encouraged here to think about Jesus Christ we're not encouraged to look anywhere else and I want to draw your attention to two very simple ideas the first is that is something that he has done something that he has done it's not just words Jesus didn't just talk about the idea of being saved but he did something so that he is the saviour for most people the baby in the manger says and does nothing so much noise and babble and excitement at Christmas but the baby in the manger says nothing there's nothing to say he's just there but Jesus Christ is not like that at all his parents were told you should call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins do you look at Jesus Christ in that way a saviour who does something and it's not just about his life on earth the verse goes on to say though he was rich he became poor again for most people they think of Jesus at all they see him as a man who was born and died 33 years later but as important and crucial as that life was we could never properly appreciate Jesus Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ without recognizing that he existed before he came to earth this is what this verse reminds us about Christian you need to think about this people who are not Christians need to think about this it is the trap and the tendency of the world to box Jesus Christ into a life 
a human life and not to see him as one who had a pre-existence in order for us to become rich very rich he had to become poor very poor here's a mighty contrast I want us to think about some of those contrasts this morning firstly something changed for him something changed for him he who is God became a man not a superman a man not a pretend man but a real man he had known nothing but absolute power and authority wisdom and knowledge but he set all this to one side he did not lose it but he voluntarily and willingly set it to one side and instead he embraced need and dependence and vulnerability and growth physical and mental and spiritual so in Luke chapter 2 verse 52 it says of him Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man Philippians 2 verses 6 and 7 says have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness it's an extraordinary thing it's so extraordinary that the church wrestled for centuries with this idea and it took a great deal of prayer and research and discussion for them to come to this amazing conclusion that the second person of the Trinity came down to this earth and became a man he who had not been a man became a man he who had never changed changed he who had never known any beginning had a most powerful overwhelming change and in that change he did not become less of God than he'd been before he didn't strip himself of being God but he became a man became the God man he didn't lay aside his Godhood but he laid aside the privileges and the attributes of his Godhood so it is a remarkable thing when we read that uh, verse in Luke 2 where it says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature well we could just about get our heads around that idea that he should grow physically but that he should grow in wisdom it's an extraordinary idea isn't it God who made everything and by whom everything holds together who is described in the Bible himself as wisdom 
that he should actually grow in wisdom. He made himself nothing. He laid it aside. He laid it aside. He laid it aside. He looked at all that he was, all that he had. He laid it aside. And I think we could say that throughout those 33 years of his life, he was always laying it aside, laying it aside. And we were only allowed to see something of his godness when the Father allowed that to be revealed. So when the voice came from heaven at Jesus' baptism, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, as it were, heaven was opened. It was a bit of a revelation taking place, a bit of an exposure of the reality of what was going on. And on the mountaintop, with the disciples, and with Moses and Elijah, when his face shone, where there was a veil removed there was something the reality was seen the reality had always been there but he laid it aside he says at one point himself don't you know I could call upon 12 legions of angels I could do that I could do that now there's absolutely nothing to stop me doing that now except the fact that I've laid that aside Well, it's amazing, isn't it? That he should do that deliberately, willingly, purposefully. He should lay aside his majesty, lay aside his authority, lay aside his wisdom, lay aside his insights, so that he should grow as a boy and learn wisdom. What a mighty contrast, rich to poor. Rich to poor in his circumstances. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. What belongs to Jesus Christ? Answer, everything. <laughs> Absolutely everything. The things that we know about and the things that we don't. The things that we see and the things that we can't see. Everything belongs to him. No one else has it. No one else has title deeds. It's not like a game of Monopoly where he's just sort of trying to get hold of more and more places that he can own. He has it all. As the children's song goes, he's got the whole world in his hands. It all belongs to him. It's his by right. He brought it into being. He sustains it by his powerful word. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That includes you. <laughs> you belong to him. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Let's look at that together. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. It's on page 1182. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Great description, broad description. 
of the greatness of Jesus Christ. But he was born poor. When his parents went to the temple to dedicate him, they paid that which was appropriate for the poorest people. They weren't asked to pay any more because they were that poor. Foxes have holes, the birds of the airs have their nests, but the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. He really identified himself with the poor. He became poor. It is a bit surprising, isn't it? was the measure and the detail and the thoughtfulness of the poverty of Jesus Christ that he chose to become a poor person as he lived his life he was born poor and he lived poor his suffering sorry his, his circumstances that was that one there and now his suffering from universal love admiration and respect that's a picture of heaven isn't it that's all that Jesus Christ had ever known the worship the adoration the instant obedience the loving service the prompt willingness of all those about him the gaze of angels uh, this is all true of Jesus Christ before he came to earth and uh, he changes all that for widespread rejection and mockery and hatred he did have a loving family but even those who were a bit fickle gave way and uh, it says in the bible of him he's a, he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief rejected misunderstood failed by his friends mocked spat upon misinterpreted and misjudged hated hounded to death it's an extraordinary thing how that would have hurt him and how he embraced that unknown knowledge that unknown experience how he willingly embraced that it's part of his poverty and uh, in his death as well he who'd lived in the realm of holiness accepts the presence and the burden of sin personal and total identification is recorded in 2 Corinthians 5.21 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He whose Trinitarian relationships had been from all eternity marked by intense and precious closeness accepts the loneliness and the desolation of forsakenness. Behold the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away 
You ever thought of Jesus Christ in that way before? This is what we're encouraged to do as we read this verse this morning. He who was rich for our sakes, he became poor, that poor. And so a, a response, a personal response is needed and indeed it's uh, demanded. Let me firstly suggest that we have here a saviour to admire and adore. Jesus is not small. This saviour is not small. He is a mighty, mighty saviour. We can and should be immensely proud of Jesus Christ. We can boast about him. Jesus shall take the highest honour. Jesus shall take the highest praise. So the passage we read in Philippians, it says, At his name every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here's a saviour for us to speak about. A saviour that we can have confidence in, so we can speak about him. Mine are riches from your poverty, mine forgiveness by your death for me, child of sorrow for my joy. We really do have a prosperity gospel. <laughs> because we have been so poor, have been made so rich. And the richness that we have received is a richness which is offered with great largesse, with great willingness, with great generosity. God offers this to the whole world. A saviour we can be proud of, a saviour that we can speak about. I'm glad that we find this text in the uh, book of Corinthians because of, of all the churches that Paul was associated with, I feel in some ways that Corinth is most like the place where we are set here. It's a place of enormous diversity and extremes and people types. And at one point in writing to them, he talks about some of the things they've been involved in in their past and he says well such were some of you you were involved in that sort of stuff there's things we don't need to mention from a platform here but goes on in Brighton and it's to these people that Paul says I want to tell you of the grace of Jesus Christ He became poor so that you, 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 through his poverty, might become rich. This gives us great confidence. We can say, well, there's no no-go no areas for the gospel of Jesus Christ in the city of Brighton Hove. There's nobody that we can think of, nobody you can think of. We could say, well, I just don't think that Jesus Christ is very appropriate for them. They're really not in the right place to receive Jesus Christ. Now, this is a wonderful saviour that we can speak about with gladness. We preach a saviour who is worth telling about a saviour for every circumstance for every age, for every experience and every culture 
Now we need confidence as we go into the next year because it's easy to be cowed by the, uh, the rhetoric and the pressure of uh, the voices all around us. But as we look at the text like this, we are made to feel confident because we see the greatness of our Saviour. There's a Saviour to follow, a Saviour to follow. He gave so that we give. Don't forget that the whole reason why this little little passages included here was just about the issue of giving and Paul is saying to the Corinthians I want you to I want you to give because Jesus Christ gave and so I say to this congregation I say to the church of Jesus Christ at Calvary well give because Jesus Christ gave how did Jesus Christ give? He gave himself wholeheartedly. How are you and I going to give ourselves to, to following Jesus Christ in the coming year? There's actually there's only, there's only one answer to that, and that has to be wholeheartedly. There isn't actually another route. There's no other model to follow. There's only one imitation that we can safely take on board, and it's to be imitating Jesus Christ. It's an astonishing thing, isn't it? Here are these Corinthians. They're a very flawed people, just like you and me. They've had lots of failures, lots of hang-ups in their lives, lots of burdens that they're bringing into their Christian experience, lots of inadequacies, lots of problems in their, in their relationships with one another, lots of besetting sins, lots of troubles and difficulties in their lives and they're just like us they're just like us and so Paul comes to this very imperfect people and he says to them well just do your best and he doesn't do that he actually sets before them an amazing standard and he says what you need to hear about, what you need to know about, and who you need to follow is this Jesus Christ, this perfect one who gave himself so completely. And he doesn't lower his standards for the Corinthians with all their problems. He says, the one I want to present to you is Jesus, and he is the one to follow. So I challenge you this morning, as you go into this these next 12 months I challenge you to be a follower of Jesus Christ I challenge you to have his mindset in you I challenge you to have that total generosity in your relationship with other people I challenge you to have that element of sacrifice in your own life I challenge you to be able to accept some of the suffering that Jesus himself went through the sake of faithfulness I challenge you to learn obedience by the things that you suffer just as he learned obedience by the things that he suffered I challenge you to do the hard thing which is maybe picking up your phone and saying sorry to somebody or writing a letter to them I challenge you to deal with the things that have just been a millstone around your neck for too long I challenge you to deal with those besetting sins in your life which have just 
held you back and you know that your ministry as a Christian is being crippled by your unwillingness to change I challenge you to put your hand into the hand of Jesus Christ and to follow him rather than tentatively putting your hand one way and putting your other hand in the hand of, of those who've got a different message challenge you to see Jesus as a comprehensive saviour who really can deal with the whole of your life not just the bit that you find when you come here on a Sunday I challenge you to be bold in your relationships with your children and with the rest of your family to be saying things to them and to be demonstrating things to them which are countercultural. challenge you to be honest in your workplace because many aren't I challenge you to be thoughtful about the weak and the needy and not to pass them by on the other side I challenge you to have a conversation with someone you've not had that conversation with for a long time because they're not your type I challenge you to be a part of a family of God and not to stand on the periphery and outside that because there isn't any other way of living life I challenge you on the basis of the example of Jesus Christ. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Here's a small challenge for us. We're going to sing this unaccompanied is a small challenge. I'll lead you off. Please stand.